Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kurt Wilson, the Armchair Survivalist. Today is the 4th of July in the year 2021, and your history lesson starts now. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without 
and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states. For that purpose, obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislators. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial, from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislators and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attention to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. 
They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. There's a lot more we can talk about the build-up to this point. But this was a new venture in the human spirit. We dared to stand up to tyranny and to say enough. We, the Anglo-Saxon descendants of the greatest military might the world has ever seen, dared to declare ourselves free men, even under threat from England. England just laughed this off. This was, this was just a joke. This was just the colonies across the pond uh, flexing their, their weak little muscle. <laughs> they thought it was funny. See, we were subjects. We were subjects, not citizens, until the breaking point came. There's much history to be learned and remembered and talked about between the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the signing of the Constitution for the United States of America. We celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th because we'd rather not celebrate the deaths and destruction that was caused by these brave men fighting for our right to even exist as a free nation. Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the new world with much sweat. They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, at best it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Research what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions before and since were initiated by men who had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose and nothing to gain except one thing. Hello Americans, I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction. 
a long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington. You have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero, but the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated. Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months, for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed, his wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and 
Rutledge in Middleton. Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured and mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price and freedom was born. They pledged their lives, they pledged their fortunes, and they pledged their sacred honor. What they referred to as their sacred honor was basically personal integrity, personal ethics, and agreements. In the Founding Fathers' mind, an agreement was never to be broken under any circumstance for any excuse. If you said you were going to be at a certain, certain place at 9 a.m., you will. You will be there. If you have to burn down a house to escape to be there at 9 a.m., this is what they meant by honor. Your word is your honor. Your deeds are your honor. 
for the past, oh, I don't know, five years, six years, ten years, we've been hearing complaints from the victim class about how the national anthem is evil and, and destructive and racist and more and more and more people are being taught that in the public schools. Let me give you the true history of the national anthem for the United States of America. There was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats, and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. He said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. 
and we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. He says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag, completely nondescript, in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle. But the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he'd found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground. Although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. 
their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave. The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proud at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the pale fight O'er the ramparts we watched so gallantly streaming and the rockets breaking the bombs bursting in air gave food to the night that our flag times that I've looked at America and I've cried tears of joy and I said look what my people have done and then there are other times when I look at America and I cried tears of sorrow and I say look what my people have done 
I am extremely proud of this country, but I'm confused as to why people have chosen to act the way that they do. Many people who I think are honorable will commit a ethical violation at the drop of a hat. They will simply lie to you about, oh, I don't know, go buy a car from a guy, your next door neighbor, tells you it's in great shape. You buy it, you drive it for a week, and the engine blows up, and he goes, well, I forgot to tell you about the bad uh, bearing in the engine. It's no big deal. You know, deal's a deal. Mankind, all of us, have the ability and choice, the key word, choice, to raise to the level of God's if we wanted to, or descend to the depths of hell itself. The individuals, the groups, the tribes, the societies, the countries, all have their individual rights to raise or descend. That depends on themselves. When one looks at what's best for the greater number, what's best for the country, what's best for the society, what's best for the group, then you can raise above the, the dirt that surrounds you. But then there's the people who simply only consider themselves. What's best for me? What can I get out of this? What can I receive by my actions or inactions? And remember, we have the choice to go either way. Only a weak mind and a weak soul would say, Oh, I had no choice. An amoeba has a choice. A dog has a choice. A human has a choice. You just have to pick the right one. We're a special breed. But being an American is not by birth. I don't care what the government says. American is not based on your birth. It's based on your intention. It's based on your efforts. It's based on your societal goals. By words and by deeds. An American is part of a a, a group that has been the most powerful group on earth for hundreds and hundreds of years because we work together. Unfortunately, in the past hundred years or so, we have been split into two basic tribes in the United States. Let me read you an essay that I wrote 25 years ago. Now, a tribe is a group of people, they could be related families, sharing the same culture, beliefs, customs, morals, and history. All right? There's more to it than that, but basically, it's a group of people that believe in the same thing. And I broke it down to Americans and anti-Americans. See, you have, well, you could say uh, you have people who eat beef and love it. And then you have people who hate beef and try and force everyone to not eat beef. Then you have a middle group that says, well, I don't care one way or the other. Well, the I don't care ones are the middle of the roads. And like my grandpa used to say, the only thing on the middle of the road is roadkill. So let me read you what the American tribe is. Therefore, individualism, personal responsibility, tolerance, fair exchange, property ownership, the home is his castle concept. They're charitable. They're willing to give a hand up. They believe in the fair market structure. They believe equality of ability, effort, and rewards. They reward success, not effort. They value liberty and freedom. They follow the rule of law. They believe in our Constitution. 
The members of American, the tribe Americans, are all conservatives, all true Christians. And I say true Christians because there's so many synthetic Christians out there now that they look at the Bible and they say, well, I, I agree with two parts of it and everything else is it, I don't agree with. They're not too, true Christians. Some alternative news sources, some sexual perverts, believe it or not, some career politicians, and very few government employees. So there, there's not a lot on the side of the tribe for Americans. The anti-Americans, these are the enemies of Americans, they're intolerant. They believe in forced servitude. It's called slavery. They're racist. They expand their voter base by creating perpetual victimhood. They have socialistic viewpoints on ownership of all things. Cars, clothing, firearms, vehicles, jobs, homes, land, etc. They want control of all facets of your life. Including mandating you don't have an income unless they give it to you. Now remember, I wrote this 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. Do as I say and not as I do attitude. Megalomaniac attitude of I know what's best for you. They promote non-responsibility for one's actions. They promote sexual perversions. They promote infanticide and eugenics. They actively work towards destruction of all things that show the American history, such as customs, morals, statues, stories, books. They hate Christianity. They award failure. They never operate in a fair and ethical manner. They have no personal integrity because the end justifies the means in their universe. They rule by propitiation or threats. Now, propitiation is basically buying somebody off. Don't beat me up. I'll give you my lunch money every day. They willfully censor all opposing speech or thoughts. And again, I'm going to tell you, this was written over two decades ago. They violate the rule of law at whim. They create unconstitutional laws. They pander to victim class by attacking and vilifying whites, as Hitler did to the Jews. They want to eradicate all law enforcement so as to create crime waves to justify military control of cities. Who are the members of the anti-Americans? Democrats. And I didn't need to put the word all in there. Democrats. Socialists. Communists. Many Republicans. The victim classes. Most blacks, most Mexicans, most sexual perverts, most atheists, all of the mainstream media, most large alternative media. Now, at the time, Fox News was alternative media, and they are part of the anti-American. Most career politicians, most government employees, city, county, state, and federal, most large corporations, all public schools, all colleges, and 99% of all unions. These are the two tribes. And I think Americans have done pretty damn good against the anti-Americans for the past 300 years or so. Now, if you're hearing, you can hear a fan in the background. We're up in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. For the past week, it's been over 100 degrees every day. And at night, it cools down to like 80. So uh, we have to have fans to help move the air around. I'm sorry if it's being picked up by the microphone. I'm sure you remember this guy named Rush Limbaugh. He talked about American exceptionalism. What American exceptionalism is not, it is not that we are better people. It is not that we are superior people. 
It is not that we are smarter people. It is not that God loves us and hates everybody else. It is not that God prefers us. It is not that God doesn't prefer anybody else. American exceptionalism has nothing to do with anything but freedom and liberty. Here is what American exceptionalism is. Well, if you know the history of the world, read your Bible. Read whatever historical account of humanity you hold dear. And what you'll read about is human tyranny. You'll read of bondage. You'll read of slavery. The vast majority of the people, the vast majority of the human beings who have lived and breathed and walked this planet have lived under the tyranny of despots. The vast majority. It isn't even close. The vast majority of the people of this world, since the beginning of time, have never known the kind of liberty and freedom that's taken for granted every day in this country. Most people have lived in abject fear of their leaders. Most people have lived in abject fear of whoever held power over them. Most people in the world have not had plentiful access to food and clean water. It was a major daily undertaking for most people to come up with just those two basic things. Just surviving was the primary occupation of most people in the world. The history of the world is dictatorship, tyranny, whatever you want to call it, subjugation of populations. And then along came the United States of America. Pilgrims were the first to come here seeking freedom from all of that. They were oppressed because of their religion. They were told they had to believe in the king and his God, whatever it was, or they would be imprisoned. They led an exodus from Europe to this country of people of the same mindset. They simply wanted to escape the tyranny of their ordinary lives. This country was founded for the first time in human history. A government and country was founded on the belief that leaders serve the population. This fun country, the first in history, and this is the exception, E-X-C-E-P-T, except the exception to the rule is what American exceptionalism is. And because of this liberty and freedom that our country exists because the founders recognized it comes from God. It's part of the natural yearning of the human spirit. It is not granted by a government. It's not granted by Putin. It's not granted by Obama or any other human being. We are created with the natural yearning to be free. And it is other men and leaders throughout human history who have suppressed that and imprisoned people for seeking it. The U.S. is the first time in the history of the world where a government was organized with a constitution laying out the rules that the individual was supreme and dominant. And that is what led to the U.S. becoming the greatest country ever because it unleashed people to be the best they could be unlike it had ever happened. That's American exceptionalism. And this makes us a threat to the anti-American. Now, that, that's the sad thing is that we have more enemies than friends on earth. And we can go into why, and we can talk about how bad we've been and all of this crap, but you know what? We civilized Earth. It's that simple. And now we become that which they have feared for thousands of years. We are true citizens and not subjects. 
We don't willingly bow to the whim of our rulers. Now, I'm saying that, okay? But unfortunately, there's not that many of us left. There's a few million, I'm, I'm feeling. Now, I could be just cynical. But when you listen to the students and the children speak every day, you see that they're being taught to hate America. They're being taught to hate white people. They're being taught to hate black people. They're being taught to hate everyone. This is the achievement of the anti-American tribe. They have to destroy us by making everybody either a victim of us or an enemy of us. And I use the word us meaning Americans and America. They have deleted from school the concept of America. If you look at a history book, you're probably going to have about a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs in there, and that's about it on America. Unless you want to talk about how bad we are and the slaves and the Indians and, and the gold mining and the, and the uh, women raping and the plundering of this. and all, you know, they, I'm sure they have plenty on that. But when you go ask people, just walk out on the street, why are we celebrating the, the, the 4th of July? What country did we declare independence from to celebrate the 4th of July? I don't know. I don't know. What is the purpose of 4th of July celebrations? Fireworks. A little more specific. <laughs> a little more specific. Celebrating our independence. There we go. A little more specific still. Independence. Day. From a country. Uh, step in here at any time. Uh, which country was that? History was not my subject. I slept through that class. And happy 4th of July. Thank you. Happy 4th to you guys. When Jesse Ventura, John Wilkes Booth, and the other founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, what year? was that 1970 sorry 1870 something but I don't remember the specific year what's the purpose of 4th of July weekend I know celebrate our independence a little more specifically please I I really don't know I, I don't know I mean that's that's all I know what year did the Declaration of Independence get signed <laughs> it's you you first oh sh- Watch your mouth. I'm sorry. Um, I don't remember, honestly. 1875? What year was the Declaration of Independence signed? God, come on, man. Uh, you don't, don't give it away. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Yep, top, it's, it's buried deep in there somewhere. That's what I'm like saying, off the top of my head. Fourth I don't grade. know, but... Hold on, we're still not done with you. We're celebrating independence. What does that mean exactly? Independence from who? Fourth of July, what year? Come on. Hold on. Don't give it away. <laughs> Come on, man. You put him on the uh, spot. You put him on the spot. Just, he needs a safe space. Fourth of July weekend, we celebrate the Civil War victory, the North over the South, freeing of the slaves. What are you going to be doing to commemorate that? It's a good question. Probably just out with family, friends, you know, enjoying ourselves. We're out in San Diego. You know, we got to enjoy the sun, the surf, the weather, good people. What year was the Declaration of Independence signed? That, my friend, has been a long time for me. <laughs> Fourth of July weekend, we sort of celebrate John Wilkes Booth, Jesse Ventura, the other founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite founding father? My favorite founding father is... Mm, oh no! Who are my choices? If <laughs> this isn't multiple choice. Oh, okay. Um, founding father Jesse Ventura. 
I, That's my favorite. favorite. That can't be your favorite. You got to pick another can't one. Can't be mine. I don't even have one. No, don't even have one. Well, if you had one, what would it be? Favorite founding father. Hey, I don't know what my options is. I say Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Fourth of July weekend, we are celebrating our independence from China. Okay. Just checking to see what people are doing to celebrate that victory over the Chinese. Well, I mean, the families always get together, you know, and they just come to the beach and just, you know, have a good time. They just barbecue. Smoke some weed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. But, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just a family Forget day. Forget about you know? our history and just have some good times, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody's just having a good time. That's, I think uh, most, people, good time, I think. most people forgot what it's they really about. They definitely have. But, Thanks I mean, for demonstrating it brings, it brings everybody together, it though, does. which That's is a good thing. That's all that matters, though. Yeah, that's really all that it's about, you know. When we won World War II, celebrating the victory over the axis of evil on 4th of July, just check in to see what you're going to be doing to celebrate the victory over the Nazis this this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go party. Sir. Party? Probably, yes. And lose more brain cells? Maybe. Possibly. But definitely. 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 (laughs) Thanks for demonstrating that. We are celebrating a certain Independence Day. Tell us what that is exactly. Uh, So the United States got independence from, uh, I guess, England, right? Yes. Yeah, 1776. Hey! Tell me anything else. This is going to get edited out because I didn't add, like, answer a dumb answer. No, we like to. We're okay. trying to, we've been oh, yeah. trying to find someone like you. Okay, so what about it? Uh, um, one of the founding fathers. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. All um, right. Thomas Jefferson. Alexander hey. Hamilton. <laughs> All right. John Hancock. Yes. Thank you okay. for thinking. Yes, sir. That was great. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks, guys. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, ensure dom- domestic tranquility to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Happy Fourth of July, y'all. Have a great one. Yes. <laughs> she makes me proud that I am an American. my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars to be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee 
Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget. There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA I don't think the history lesson is done yet. We've still got more to do, but I've got to get some news out of the way. First off, uh... I never covered the whole thing about the armchairsurvivalist.com. Go to that website, armchairsurvivalist.com. Scroll down any page there, and you'll see all the different ways you can listen to me. Now, on any of those pages, you will see at the top right what's known as a VPN. It's a little banner ad. A virtual private network. It protects you when you're on the Internet. Those of you who actually care, go ahead and click on it armchairsurvivalist.com. I get a little bit of money for each time somebody signs up for that. I use that. So that's that's the important thing. Now, we have Mountain House Foods. If you haven't figured it out yet, there's going to be a shortage of food. They're already We're already suffering through what's called shrinkflation. Shrinkflation is when they charge you the same amount of money, but they shrink the canister. There's an article about a guy who orders a, a certain type of cat food. 5.9 ounces per can. Cost him $81 a month for this case of that food. So he gets his case and it's $81 except it's 5.1 ounces. Look at your tuna. If you have any old tuna cans out there, you're going to see, I don't know what, 6 ounces? Look at the new ones. They're 5 ounces. Some of them are 4.5 ounces. You'll see the difference. I have. Same thing in peanut butter. Same thing in ice cream. Same thing. Everything that you can imagine, what the uh, what the manufacturers are doing are, are they're shrinking the packages but keeping the price the same. It's called shrinkflation. Mountain House food, freeze dried, in pouches, a week supply of food in a bucket. It's going to run 150 bucks delivered anywhere. You can go to survivalenterprises.com and there's there's uh, on the left hand side. Scroll down a little. You'll see this ad of new things for sale or food or something like that. Click on it around you'll see what i'm talking about we have ham radios and look we run out of ham radios every month i run out of ham radios at these little handheld units this is all you're going to be able to use if the schumer hits the fan and am fm and everything else goes down 
You can use these for local or long-distance communication. You can find out all about them yourself. Okay. Oh, and remember, our colloidal minerals are still on sale. The forty dollars a gallon, normally forty-five. Can't I can't go down any further than that. So, uh, but these things will last you a long time. Uh, you go to survivalenterprises.com. On the left-hand side, you'll see health. Click on that, and then just uh, it's alphabetical. You'll find our colloidal minerals. Okay, so now we've got to get into various categories that I have. Yeah, the economy was one, and I talked a little bit about this shrinkflation stuff. Now we're going to get into the health department, and this is this is the health department has been the worst department that I've ever had to talk about. People are willingly affecting themselves with this injection that has nothing to do with protecting you from a disease. It creates a genetic problem inside your body and it's so bad the FDA now is mandating warnings on all of these vaccinations that and I don't I haven't read one yet but what they're going to say is that if you're below the age of 35 don't be aware that you can suffer from myocarditis uh, myocarditis it's a swelling of the heart tissue or swelling of the brain tissue so they're telling you yes the side effect is your death or you can be disabled the rest of your life. But go ahead and take it anyway. They uh, have been busy burying all kinds of information. I don't know I don't know what the hell's happened to females. They get pregnant and they have no clue that they actually are responsible for that child. So they go get a shot. They go get a vaccination. And the medical community is hiding the fact, hiding this, that 82% of the women who get vaccinated... Self-abort is what it's called. That means you lose the baby. 82%. I I don't care if it's 1%. The key is how stupid have people become that they would do this. A pregnant female is not supposed to get anything. You're not even supposed to drink a glass of wine. And they are stupid enough to go get a vaccination which they've never researched. They have not researched. And by they, I mean the women who get these shots. Nobody who gets the shots has done any research whatsoever. And again, this could be a... Uh, and I have friends that thought this up. This this could be a plan to kill off all the stupid people in the world. I don't know. But I can tell you this. People who have taken the shot, the vaccines in Australia, are coming up HIV positive. And it turns out that it, the HIV is actually in the uh, inoculation. And they claim that, well, we're using that to hold the spike protein in place or some such crap. You people, this is what's happening. The stupid are going to suffer. In Israel, the vaccine they're using there, 50% of the people who were vaccinated are coming down with covid Fifty percent. There's a guy online, and you know, I'm sorry about this, and you're not supposed to talk talk bad of the dead, but this guy was uh, he was one of the government trolls, and he would go to all the different websites and all the different chat rooms, and he'd he'd uh, uh, yell at people and say, "Oh, you're a damn coward! You're an idiot! You're you're, you're anti-American! You need to take the shot just so you can protect everyone around you! You coward! You blah 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 blah!" So he goes and, and gets the shot and dies. 
Oh, well. Lisbon Court in Spain. They, there was a lawsuit brought against uh, the medical community. It's a big thing. But what they discovered, what the court discovered, was that 0.9% of these so-called verified deaths of COVID-19, 0.9% actually died of that disease. In other words, 99.1% of all verified deaths of COVID-19 were fraud. And this is in Spain. If you think this isn't bad enough, the CDC and the FDA are preparing mass distribution of a new 6-in-1 vaccination for children. You know how uh, autism started in the 60s with all these mandatory vaccinations for kids and it's progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Well, this is why. Because people, again, are stupid enough to fall for this crap. We've lost the inability to, to critically think and determine what's right, wrong, safe, and dangerous. In fact, I, I, was, um, I was thinking about this this week. There are these organizations that you can, like Ancestry.com, where you, you, you uh, spit in a tube and you send it to them and they, they check your, your DNA and they can tell you your, your history. Now, other than the fact that all of these companies that, that check your DNA are owned by the Chinese government, their results are questionable, to say the least. I wanted to see what would happen if I sent my pet lizard DNA into 23andMe. And so with the help of my wife, we extracted enough saliva to send off in the mail. We were so excited to see the results. After about three months, we were shocked. My lizard was 51% Ashkenazi Jewish. He was also 48% West Asian. If you lie to the government, they'll put you in prison. But when they lie to all of us, it's called being a politician. You think taking guns away will save our kids from the killings? But you're pro-choice. Abortion kills way more children. If America's so terrible and racist, it probably isn't safe to encourage immigration. Just saying, all the contradictions are embarrassing. You know who hates America the most? Americans. Trigger warnings used to be on TV for seizures. And now they're everywhere to protect millennials' feelings. He, she, his, him, hers, them, they. Screw a pronoun, because everyone's a retard these days. Here I'm preaching at the protest that hatred's the problem But hating straight men, white folks, and Christians is common Coca-Cola telling people they should be less white They preach intolerance, but if you disagree, they fight There's a race war here, elections based on fear Black lives only matter once every four years Soldiers died for this country and every one of us benefits Give welfare to the bums and forget about the veterans Black folks and white folks divided by the news But we are all the same, we are red, white, and blue Ashamed to be American? Okay, that's cool Cause honestly, we are all ashamed of you too yeah. Y'all are so fake, oh no The forecast said that there'd be snowflakes Whoa, you can't make us see it your way No way, gasoline and propane More flames, oh no No more snowflakes And if you come to my store in uh, Hayden, Idaho Next to the front door window there is, is a big sign that says Snowflakes not allowed Okay, so we're under the category of liberal psychosis right now. Oakland, California, has decided that they're going to defund the uh, police department to the tune of $17 million. 
17 million dollars that's a hell of a lot of money for a police department anywhere but still so they're taking it away so while oakland's busy disarming the um, the, the police department and destroying the police department there a local camera crew was <laughs> was interviewing the uh, chief of the Department of Violence Prevention on the steps of the Oakland City Hall. Two black guys come up with guns and try to rob them and steal the camera. So the uh, the the Department of Violence Prevention chief stood there. Going up, 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 while the security guard for the news crew pulled out his guns and said, beat it. This is what's happening all over the United States. When you have communists or anti-Americans in charge of a city, the thing that they have to do is get rid of all law enforcement. In fact, car burglaries. This is breaking into your car, right? Are up almost 800% since the... Um, and since the uh, uh, the end of the uh, pandemic, quote unquote. In fact, we got a problem here in Coeur d'Alene and Hayden in northern Idaho. The lot, a lot of Californians are moving up here. Now, one of the things you have in California are these these uh, Mexicans, and they're they're they could be third, fourth, fifth generation, and they're con men, they're criminals. We've had somebody come up to our house and offer to buy my motorhome twice, and they're driving brand new black Silverados with California plates on it. And basically, I blow them off. But we're noticing in the police blotter, cars are being stolen, motorhomes are being stolen. I've talked about this before. People have no clue what security is. They'll start their car in the morning and let it idle in the driveway or on the curb out front. In the winter, it's to warm it up. In the summer, it's to cool it down. And then after about 10 minutes, they go out to get in and they leave. Not a big deal. Well, you can't do that in big cities. And now you have the scum of the earth moving towards North Idaho. And where they go, so do their parasites. And those parasites are now up here. So I'm going to tell you guys... Use some common sense. Lock your car. Lock your house. Never leave a window open at night unless it's on a second floor. Be aware and use some common damn sense. Well, your car is going to get stolen. This is a big thing and it's happening all over the United States right now. 800% the car burglaries are. What happens is a guy walks along and, he, and he's just checking the doors. The door's unlocked. He's going to go in and see what he can steal. It's happening everywhere including up here. Something in Colorado happened very sad last week. There was a police officer being attacked by a man who had a rifle. A concealed carry person pulled his pistol and shot the guy with the rifle to protect the police officer. Then he walked over, picked up the rifle to get it out of the the shot guy's hands, and another cop pulls up and shoots him and kills him. This could have all been prevented. Let me tell you standard operating procedure in a shooting. I don't care if it's if it's a, if you're a cop and you get shot and somebody tries to help you, if you stop somebody, I don't care what the circumstances are. I know how to react, so that's why I'm still alive. If you're involved in a shooting, if you're 
helping to defend an officer or defend someone, when it's done, you take your weapon and you place it on the hood of a car or on the seat in the driver's seat with the doors open. You unload your weapon. If it's a semi-automatic, you drop the mag, you pull the slide all the way back, you set the gun down, you stand away from it. Never have a firearm in your hand when law enforcement shows up. They have a millisecond to determine if you're a threat or not. And this guy, unfortunately, picked up the rifle. Because the, the, the 911 call that went in was man with rifle shooting at cop. So if you're involved in a shooting, to, just to save yourself. Now, obviously, every, every shooting is going to have a different circumstance. But I have done this three or four times. I pulled a gun on somebody who was robbing a lady. He took off. I knew the police were coming. I opened my car door, emptied the gun, locked the slide back, set it on the driver's seat with the magazine, and I walked over to the curb and sat down. I'm a non-threatening civilian at that point. Just a just a word of warning to the wise. If you're involved in any kind of shooting, make sure you seem non-threatening when the law enforcement shows up. On the other hand, depending on, and again, this is every incident's different. There might be an incident where you are participating in a shooting. You don't want to be there when they show up. You get out. I don't want to teach you anything else other than that. Right? That, that's, that's basically what I wanted to give you so you would understand how sad this was and how it could have been prevented. All right, now we're getting into the Democrat perversion, because all things perverted stem from Democrats. They're coming out with a new book for kids. Uh, Apparently, children under 13 years of age don't quite understand what abortion is. So now the Democrats have decided that they need to teach children what abortion is and that that everyone has a right to it. So they're coming out with a book. Now, you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, on the left-hand side, you'll see show notes. I have my show notes up. Sometimes there's a time lag between the show and when they get up, but I usually have them up, and they're up now from my past shows. Go there to the show notes, and you'll have all the links, all the links to everything that I talk about. Now, the second article here is, you know how Hollywood likes to take old shows and redo them? Well, because Hollywood is ran by perverts, uh, they, uh, they've decided that they're going to take all of the classic TV sitcoms and remake them. They're going to reimagine them with drag queens, sexual perverts, pedophiles, you know, normal Democrats. I'm, yeah, I can't, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, let's see here. Female, there's a big thing happening now all over the world with these transvestites where these these uh, sexual perverts uh, one day they're they uh, they're male and then they uh, decide that they're they're female and then they say well you know what because I'm a female I can participate in female sports so we're getting stories of all of these females who were the head of their their group their organization they were the strongest and the most fast and the best mountain bicyclists and hurdler and javelin t- 
tosser, all of this stuff, and then some guy decides he's female and comes out and beats the hell out of him. A transgender weightlifter, after being a biological man for 35 years, will be allowed to compete in women's weightlifting at the Olympics this summer. Is this fair? You be the judge. We'll tell you everything you need to know in tonight's special testicle report. After somehow dominating competitions recently, New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard is making very non-binary waves as the Olympic Committee announced Laurel will be allowed to compete in women's weightlifting at the Olympics. And for some reason, some people who aren't indoctrinated into Marxism enough to disown objective truth think women's sports should be reserved for biological women only. That smells uninclusive to me. This just in! If you think women's sports should only be for biological women, then you're transphobic. So shut up! End of discussion forever. Most hysterical one wins. These people are likely the same ones that buy into the baseless conspiracy theories that humans have an immune system and that hormones make a difference in the body. Moving along. When Laurel Hubbard was a man, the man that she was was competing in weightlifting and impressively set a New Zealand junior national record in 1998 in the men's category. And this makes Laurel a perfect candidate for women's weightlifting because she's starting on a very level playing field with the other women. How level? Well, Laurel is 43 years old, and she transitioned from biological male to non-biological female at 35 years old. So Laurel lived with a male's testosterone level for 35 years, while all other female competitors at the Tokyo Olympics will have lived with a male's testosterone level for exactly zero years. Maybe worth noting, testosterone is the primary hormone responsible for strength, muscle growth, and bone density. Allegedly, all helpful things for weightlifting. What's the difference between men's and women's testosterone levels? From an identity politics perspective, no difference. From a scientific perspective, based in reality, a big difference. If we may entertain objective reality for just a moment, Optimal testosterone levels for a woman are between 60 and 100 nanograms per deciliter. Optimal testosterone levels for a man are between 700 and 1100 nanograms per deciliter. That means within optimal ranges, men can naturally have up to 18 times more testosterone than women. Now multiply that by 35 years, and you start to get the picture of the level playing field of strength and muscle that Laurel is bringing to women's weightlifting. Not to mention the fact that testosterone helps you recover faster between workouts, which means an individual can do more workouts more frequently, which gives that person more time working on skill and technique which are essential for the sport of weightlifting. Which means, from a physiological perspective, Laurel was capable of doing more for 35 years. Which means, from a woke political perspective, we're all the same. Which conveniently really helps level the playing field. But when we leave all this misleading science behind, we realize it would be transphobic to suggest hormones could make a difference here. That's why many trans people take hormones to make a difference in their bodies. This just then! The Babylon Bee reports that a female weightlifter suffers a testicle injury just weeks before the Olympics. We wish her and her testosterone-producing testicles a speedy recovery. Uh, I think that's satire. That's satire? Is it? I mean, that seems like a pretty common injury in women's sports. I don't think that's satire. 
So is it fair for a person who was a man for 35 years to compete in women's weightlifting at the Olympics? Absolutely. Because despite all the drastic differences, Laurel is exactly the same as all the other women she's competing against. It's just like, you know how horses run a lot faster than humans? So if a horse starts to identify as a human, it would only be fair for that former horse, now a human, to compete in the 100 meter dash in the Olympics against other humans. Because that horse is now the same as all other humans. Because it calls itself the same word that humans call themselves, human. It's that simple. Nobody in their right mind would question this. So in conclusion, as transgender Laurel Hubbard very fairly competes in the Olympics, Will she bring home the women's gold? In spite of being the heavy favorite, no. That's because I identify as the gold medalist in women's weightlifting. And I couldn't be more proud of this accomplishment of believing this is who I truly am. That's it for tonight's breaking news. There's no more objective reality, therefore you are much easier to manipulate. Now apparently the EU is going crazy over uh, the head of Hungary. Because, well, let's read this. Hungary told repeal law banning pervert promotion to children or else leave the EU. Mark Root, the prime minister of the Netherlands, said Hungary either must leave the EU or repeal this law, which bans TV shows and other content seen as championing LGBT lifestyles for the under-18s. So, basically, Hungary doesn't, Hungary doesn't take crap from these people. Uh, they, they seem to be fairly sane. They don't like communists. They don't like Muslims. They won't allow the Muslim uh, invasion into their country. And they don't like sexual perversion to be promoted. You want to be a pervert? You go find a closet and you go be a pervert. But you don't try and recruit other perverts, especially children. And this is what's really upsetting all of these uh, communists out there. Because, well, they just hungry just won't allow it. Now, those of you, those of you who are interested in participating in the destruction of America, uh, there's actually a class that you can attend, and they'll be happy to uh, send you to school to learn how to destroy America. So you want to aim your brick for the center of the window to get maximum shattering. If you hit the perimeter of the window, you run the risk of merely cracking it. And that's no good. Hi, I'm Professor Harvey Johnson. I'm the head of faculty here at the Antifa Academy. The Antifa Academy is a school to train the youth to become the next generation of Antifa radicals. Then you run the risk of looking like a fool. People won't be inspired by your message. And worst of all, that small business will probably be able to open the next day. And none of us want that. We're here to help society by hurting society, which is fundamentally the most effective way to help society. Now class, when something happens we don't like, who do we take it out on? Ooh, small businesses? Here at Antifa, we're against fascism. And we fight fascism using fascist principles, such as oppression, complete power, and silencing opposition because fascism's wrong. Most people mistakenly believe Antifa is just a bunch of angry white people with no direction getting together to make a fireworks show out of cities around the US. But we stand for something much more than that. 
We stand for communism. What do we do when people are protesting an important cause? Take advantage of it? Great job, Ronald. Another misconception is that Antifa was created by a group of Portland misfits in the past couple of years who are disgruntled because there weren't public restrooms specifically designated for the 57th gender. But that simply isn't true. The very first Antifa group was founded in Germany in the 1920s. It was created by the Stalinist Communist Party of Germany. Therefore, it was directly funded and controlled by Joseph Stalin. Here's a fun fact about Stalin. Through famines he caused and direct genocide, it's estimated that he killed over 20 million people. Another early Antifa group was founded by the Maoist Communist League in the 1970s. Now, Mao was responsible for the killings of over 45 million people over the course of just four years. A very inspirational leader who knew how to get a lot done. We're like ISIS, but instead of being international terrorists, we're domestic terrorists. Kind of like locally grown terrorism, farm to table kind of thing. Locally grown terrorism is much better for the environment because we don't have to fly around the world to destroy our targets, which would just add a large carbon footprint to Pachimama. I think that's the last thing any of us would want. We like to foster a laid back learning environment so our students are free to dress anywhere from business casual to business violent, and our entire campus is gluten free. Liberation begins when America dies. By liberation, I do mean communism. We've cleverly named ourselves Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist. So that means if someone opposes our violent ways, as in they're anti-anti-fascist, then mathematically speaking, that makes them a fascist. It's kind of like if a child molester wore a shirt that says anti-child molesting, then if you spoke out against that person, that would make you for child molesting. What is the easiest thing about being a communist in America? Being in America because it's not a communist country. That's right, Gary. At Antifa, we firmly believe capitalism is the worst. That's why we're glad to do the bidding of elite billionaires that we don't know are controlling us. Pop quiz. When you show up at a peaceful protest, do you A, bring your own bricks, B, steal someone else's bricks, C, order bricks through Postmates, or D, George Soros will have a pallet of bricks delivered to the site in advance. If you think domestic violence is a great way to solve problems in your relationship, then you'll love what we do. One of the principles Antifa stands for is we are against white pride. And given that we're almost entirely all white people, we can take a lot of pride in being against white pride. Joe Biden says we don't exist, so we can keep existing. <laughs> a little sleight of hand by our quick-witted dictator. There's a reason why when you type in Antifa.com, it redirects you to Joe Biden's site. He stands for everything we do, except he doesn't dress like a ninja, and he slurs his words more. From a kinesiological perspective, What's the proper way to warm up one's rotator cuff prior to throwing Molotov cocktails? If you're man enough to hide behind a black mask while you come out and destroy other people's property and sucker punch journalists in the face, and even commit the occasional murder just for good measure, then please consider joining Antifa. It's just like Gandhi always said, destroy the world to be the change you wish to see. The thing that would surprise people the most about Antifa... Probably how much cardio you need. You're a good candidate for Antifa if you're still looking for a sense of belonging. Your nuclear family was destroyed the way BLM tries to do. Your father never held you when you were younger. You spent your childhood harming animals. Or you're just looking for a sense of adventure in your life. Right now, we're accepting applications for our fall semester. Welcome, class, to your first day of Antifa training. Now the category is government threat. San Francisco 
uh, a great example uh, from the West, uh, from the uh, gay area, Bay Area. They're paying the equivalent of $60,000 per tent for the bums that they are allowing to live on the streets and in the parks. See, they, they have to have a special tent uh, so they can be safe from COVID. They have to have special hygiene, special bathrooms. They have to be fed. They have to have medical supplies. They have to have... So if you want to be a bum and live the high life, go to San Francisco. Or you can go to Oregon. Oregon just passed a law that's going to allow criminal aliens. I mean, you want to just crawl over the border right now, go head right right to Oregon, and you get Medicaid. Yes. And those of you in America who homeschool your children, do you know that the the gods amongst us, uh, the United Nations, have decided that we are causing our homeschool children to suffer? They, uh, the homeschooling threatens harm to children and adolescents. Now, that's that's uh, my wife got in an argument one time. Now, my son, who's now about thirty-eight, was homeschooled from the age of I don't know three months. My wife got in an argument with a typical communist in Portland, Oregon, years ago. Now, my son at the time was probably nine years old, and we were at a gun show, and he was standing behind the counter, and he was talking to a gentleman about an M1 Garand, and at nine years old, my son could tear one down and rebuild it blindfolded. So, this man's wife took my wife aside and said, you know, your son's missing out on all kinds of stuff. You tell, you're homeschooling him. I heard you talking to my husband about that. That's really sad because he's he's just not going to fit into the modern world. And my wife goes, so what, what's he missing? Oh, he's missing the, the interaction between the, the students and, the, and, the, and, and my wife let her talk. So, and my wife says, uh, okay, so what I get is that my, my son is missing the, the uh, bullies uh, that are in every public school now. He's missing the sexual perversion that's being taught. He's missing the racism uh, that's being taught in schools now. Uh, he's missing getting in fights. He's missing the the uh, prostitution and the loose moral females. Uh, he's missing out on the political hogwash that uh, students are being shoved down their throat in public school. That She went on for about 10 minutes. And she was getting a little hot. <laughs> so, now the UN is say, telling us that uh, homeschooling threatens harm to children and adolescents. Yeah. Oh, do you hear about New York's having an election now? Yes. Uh, they got a problem, though, because, because Democrats, what do Democrats do in elections? They cheat. It doesn't matter if only Democrats are running. They cheat. This is what a Democrat does. They cheat. So they accidentally found 136,000 extra votes more than registered voters. That, and so the, <laughs> so the Democrats come out and said, oh, oh, uh, um, let's see, what, what are those? Those are tests. We did some testing to make sure the machines were working. And the poll watchers saying, well, usually these machines are tested. They use a couple hundred votes. The couple hundred ballots. Now you're saying 136 ballots were used for testing. Let's see how that comes out. Well, we'll see what what they figure out. Chinese Chinese in uh, China have been ordered to hunt down all books on religion. China is now going through its second second 
cultural revolution, they claim. The first one cost millions of lives. Let's see what this one costs. And let's see how Dimwit justifies it by looking and saying, well, that's their, that's their, uh, that's how that nation functions. You know, this is, this is what they do. They have different rules than we do. So China has ordered all citizens to hunt down all books that have to do with religion. And what religion do you think they're talking about? They're talking about Christianity. Do you remember a couple shows back I talked about how uh, the feds went into a safety deposit uh, business and they took $85 million worth of safety deposit boxes. They took all, all the safety deposit boxes in there. A judge ruled that they, uh, that was illegal. So he's, um, he's ordering everything be returned. Now, there was a top Chinese intelligence official that defected. You might have heard a few little blurbs about this on some of the communist news networks. But I doubt it because of what occurred. Now, this guy, this, this, uh, this Chinese communist, he knows a lot of stuff, a lot of data. And he's, he's, uh, he didn't want to die when he defected, so he wouldn't go to the CIA or the FBI because he knows they're dirty. So he went to the Defense Intelligence Agency and turned himself in. And uh, we'll see what comes out of that. Now, here's a good thing. Now, you know the fascist government that we now have, the communists that are now running the United States, have pulled out uh, all the stops from the border and said, all right, now anybody just wants to just come on over. Uh, you, we'll, we'll take care of everybody. In fact, anybody who's ever been deported come on back because I'm sure that the deportations were illegal. So we'll give you citizenship and we'll allow you to get every all of your family members from wherever third world hellhole you came from and you can bring them over here too because we know eventually you're all going to vote Democrat, right? Okay, so what's happening is various states are now sending uh, National Guard or troopers or law enforcement to Texas and Arizona borders to help strengthen the defense there. And it turns out that also uh, a billionaire has decided that he's going to fund the National Guard to go to the U.S.-Mexican border. You guessed it, the category is Dimwit the Puppet. This is the guy in charge of Shady Acres in Washington, D.C. now. All right, so Dimwit has put forth uh, his nominee for the Bureau of Land Management. It's a woman, and it is a woman, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. Her name is Tracy Stone Manning. And in her graduate thesis, where she was... Uh, uh, awarded a master's degree. 
she argued that Americans should uh, have no more than two children because children are environmental hazards. And she is also attached to uh, eco-terrorists who had spiked trees. This, this, is, this is typical. What can I say? Dimwit's administration has also killed uh, an ethics board that was created by Trump. And the intent was to simply stop using aborted fetuses for scientific research and to stop funding it with U.S. taxpayer money because Democrats are promoters of eugenics and abortions. Well, you cancel that. We don't need that anymore. We don't need to have ethics. Oh, by the way, because Dimwit knows that he can't even sit for more than like a half hour at a time, uh, Jill Biden is going to go to the Tokyo Olympics uh, while Dimwit stays at home uh, with his caretakers. Every time he talks, he's getting more and more arrogant, and it's easier to see he's suffering from dementia. All right, now we're going to get into the communist racism. The UN Human Rights Chief calls for reparations because of racism. Because of racism all over the world, the UN has decided that uh, reparations should be promoted. And as a matter of fact, the first black billionaire, this guy is a racist to the max. His name is Robert Johnson. He's a founder of Black Entertainment Television. And he says he wants his check now. He wants his reparations because he's sure that some of his ancestors were slaves, so he wants it right now. As a matter of fact, the National Archives, this is getting really, really ridiculous. The National Archives has, uh, they have their own racism task force. And it says they're rotunda. This is this is the outside. You know, you, you walk through and you go, whoa, look at this all stuff. It's st- structural racism. It's it's trigger warnings. There's these warnings should should accompany all of this stuff. They should have warning trigger warnings out there because because people are going to be triggered by the by this systemic racism that's uh, portrayed too positively. In the UK, there was a giant, giant report. This was a lot of research. and it, Now, the UK has had this, this BLM, uh, blacks are great, whites are scum. They've had this for decades, more than we have here. Well, they discovered that white children are suffering from systemic neglect. Because all the attention is being <clears throat> being put on black children. Boy, the Schumer hit the fan with that one. You you should hear the Englishman in 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 their uh, in their courts complaining back and forth about that. I got a uh, email from a guy who's in the Navy. They're being forced to take part in mandatory diversity hikes. Diversity hikes. I'm scratching my head here, and I wish I had hair on it. But uh, what the hell does that have to do with killing people and destroying things? This is what the military is for. 
We're a joke. Speaking of joke, there's this female black racist. This is happening too often. Her name's Gwen Berry. So she was getting a bronze medal in the hammer throw. And she uh, she claimed it was racist because she didn't win first prize. It, it's it's because the two other people were the gold and silver winners were uh, were white. So it, all of this is because uh, it's their fault. It's uh, the white people's fault. When the anthem was played, she turned her back to the flag. Now the, the American flag. She loves the American flag when she's trying to raise money. Because us idiot white people will donate all kinds of money to the poor little misunderstood black girl who wants to just wants to go to the Olympics. She needs to be booted from the Olympic team. If you want to, if you want to embarrass the America and uh, disavow the flag and our national anthem, you do it on your own time. You don't do it in front of the world. Because that degrades our country. We're getting tired of this. All over the world. People are getting fed up with this crap that is being shoved down our throats and our children's throats. Blackness fatigue is setting in. America is exhausted from dealing with the never-ending complaints and ingratitude of the black community. Black racism against whites and Asians has reached violent proportions, and with the help and funding of the Democrat Party, militant black racism is getting worse. White Americans are the least racist people in the USA, probably the whole world. We have been non-racist for the last 50 years, but today the Democrat Party is using racism as a political weapon. And white America is exhausted from dealing with blackness that has been coming against them day after day for years. White Americans who have never had a racist thought in their lives are tired of being constantly accused of racism. They are tired of being told that every problem in the black community is the fault of white people. That the massive failures of black cities and neighborhoods and families is our fault. This week some fruitcake politicians declared that blacks violently attacking Asians is caused by white people. No matter what white people do or say, they are slandered as villains by blacks who are determined to punish white Americans simply for being white. They are unappeasable. Now, millions of immigrants came here from England, Poland, Italy, South America, Vietnam, Russia. They came from all around the world, and they were dirt poor when they arrived. But they worked hard and became successful and rich and well-adjusted citizens. So why is it that the African community has remained in poverty for 150 years? We built nice new apartment buildings that quickly became high-crime ghettos. Want to get an education? on what's happening in black America? Get on the internet and type in brawls. Restaurant brawls, shopping center brawls, fast food brawls, and look at what you see in those videos. 
It's not the Germans or the Italians who are turning public places into savage mass fistfights. And it's not the Australians who are walking the streets looking to beat the hell out of some pedestrian simply for having white skin. And it's not the Vietnamese who are burning and looting American cities. And it's not the Russians who are fighting with and sometimes killing our police officers. There are, of course, honorable and respectable men like Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and Dr. Ben Carson. These men are extremely successful and at the pinnacle of their possessions. But for some inexplicable reason, they are hated and ridiculed by the black community as if their success is somehow a betrayal of their race. Men like Carson and Thomas should be held up as role models and emulated, not hated and criticized. America is suffering from blackness fatigue, and that fatigue is slowly but surely becoming a boiling rage. Even the friendliest dog will bite if you kick him long enough. And that is where white America is today. There's a showdown coming. There is no more that we can give. We're done apologizing for imaginary violations, and we're done surrendering to black racism. There's a showdown coming, and it's going to get ugly. The sad thing is is that many blacks are being emboldened because the communists who rule the areas where they live are turning a blind eye to their actions. They're allowing them to burn things down and kill people and, and rape and rob and steal and destroy. But they haven't tried that yet in places that aren't ruled by communists. The problem is, and this is the bad thing, they're going to be shut down hard and fast if they try any of that crap in an area where there's Americans. And I'm not using the word white. I'm saying where there's Americans. Do you know how many, do you know how many Latinos we have up here that are gun collectors and that are, that are Americans? They have more flags than the white people do. You'd be surprised. But that's the sad thing. These people are being emboldened irresponsibly. Not because that they have earned the right, but because they're allowed the right to do this stuff. In, in life, you have to determine which battles you're going to fight. Not the long-range ones. I mean, yes, your wife says, Does these pants make me look like I have a fat butt? Do you want to fight that battle, or do you want to say, honey, doesn't matter what you wear, you look beautiful? Or you could tell her the truth, but don't, you know. That's, see, that's a battle. That's, that's one of the little battles that you, you choose whether or not to fight. Another battle would be, do you choose to stand in front of a criminal who wants to steal something from you? But there are battles that you choose to fight. There are battles you choose not to fight. There's battles you choose to put off to another day. And the problem that we have here in America is that people are choosing not to fight, and they're choosing... To put these battles off to another day. And fighting doesn't necessarily mean pulling out a Browning high power. It could mean standing up and saying, no, stop that. Don't do that. We had some guys when BLM was going to come here and Antifa was going to come here. And one of these guys I talked to. And he said, uh, I'm a doer. See, that's that's one of the things that Antifa has. That It's a little saying. is We're doers. We do things. We do it. We start the, the, the riots. We do it. And I looked at him and said, well, we're kind of doers here too, but we believe in the three S's. And he goes, what's that? I said, shoot, shovel, shut up. Well, we didn't have any problem with him. (laughs) In fact, we didn't have any problem with any of them. But the thing is that there are too many small battles that people are 
saying, no, nah, I don't want to get into that. You see somebody, I don't care if you're black or white. If I see somebody abusing another person or an animal, I'm going to pick that as a battle. If I hear that there is a teacher that's teaching the students that whites are bad and evil and don't deserve their position in this universe, I am going to fight that battle. And I have played clips many times on my show of people who have decided to fight these battles. These are the Americans. These are the ones that deserve this country. And unfortunately, it's being taught the opposite in the public schools here, is that you don't deserve this country if you're white. You don't deserve this country if you're a conservative and you can be black and conservative and you don't deserve this country. They'll try and take it away from you. You hear stories every day of how the communists are, are doing what, they're, what they want to do to take this country away. You have Facebook is run by communists. Now, if you're on Facebook, they're sending out warnings to your email saying you might have been uh, on a website that is an extremist website. We're warning you. If you think that one of your friends is an extremist, tell us. Turn him in. Recall me earlier saying China is telling all its citizens to find all the books on religion and destroy them. So we have communists in charge of Facebook and Google and Twitter and a thousand other social networks. Yes, these are communists. They're anti-Americans. And they're doing exactly what the communists are doing in China. They're stopping our communications. Now, speaking of that, just just so you guys know, I'm going to go off on a side here. Uh, Survival Enterprises has pretty much been off the air for the past three days. And we're not sure exactly what's going to be happening. What happened was... I got a letter in the mail from Spectrum, who is our internet service provider, ISP. And it said, oh, you, uh, you're a business. You've been with us a long time. We've updated all of the lines in the area, so we're going to give you a free modem, and it'll double your speed. So what the hell? I'm not going to say no on a free modem. So they send me this modem. And my son hooks it up, and he looks at the manual, and it says, oh, this is a self-install modem. Just go to this website. So he goes to the website. Does exactly what they say. And the internet breaks. We're dead in the water. We have no internet. The modem fries. So he spends four hours on the phone trying to get it fixed. This was Thursday. Four hours on the phone. Finally, they uh, tell him we're going to have to send a tech out tomorrow because we have no idea what's going on. So the tech comes out yesterday, and the tech looks at everything. Now, I'm going to shorten this a little bit, because the tech was out here about six hours, and he couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. But he did figure out one thing. They don't have a self-install program on the Internet for us. It hasn't gone live yet. 
So the modems were, would work if we called up and say, "Here's the MAC ID. Here's the here's the serial number. Blah blah blah. Turn it on for us." But no, they said, "Here, use this self-install thing." So we use that, and it, the, when we did that, it basically set our system into a loop. We have no internet here. I'm recording this on my son's phone because he has a hotspot and I can use it on my computer. This is this is what uh, this is what Spectrum did. So we're dead in the water. We can't run charges. This is what happens if the internet goes down. We can't run charges. People have ordered things online and uh, give it you know, their credit card number. We can't run them. We can't even print the orders up. Because the orders have to be sent to us via our email. So we're sort of SOL right now, trying to figure out what we're going to do. I'm going to try and bring home all the orders tonight and, and, and the credit card machine and try and run the orders at home. I don't know if that'll work or not. But this is, this is what happens if they try anyone tries to control your communications. Turn off the internet? We're out of business. Unless you walk in the front door. And you better have cash because we can't take credit cards. We don't have internet. Credit card machines hooked to the internet. So we can't take cards and we can't close batch. So there's this, this is how it works, you know, unfortunately. Anyway, just just to let you guys know what's going on, because I know a lot of you have placed orders. You're trying to figure out why, why we haven't contacted you. It's because we have no internet. And they promised... Now, they, they promised uh, this morning to send out another tech Monday. And we'll see what happens. One way or another, we're going to have internet next week. I don't care if we've got to go to another company, but we're going to have an internet. The problem, again, is the, is the false empowering of many blacks. And you keep... And then the mainstream media being anti-American are happy to go along with the propaganda. You hear all kinds of stuff about about uh, racist, racist attacks on Asians, racist attacks on old people, racist attacks, racist attacks. Not one of them is done by a white person. Not one. They're all done by blacks. And the thing is, there's videos to prove it. But the mainstream media refuses. In fact, all the media refuses to say that. They refuse to say, it was a black guy that beat up that little Chinese lady. That was a black guy that knocked out that 85-year-old white woman. That was a black guy that kicked that 4-year-old white girl in the head and put her in a hospital. I'm not saying white people aren't as, as abhorrent and destructive and disgusting as blacks. But the majority of them aren't. And when you look at you look at crime, you look at I don't care what crime, seventy five percent of the criminals in the United States in federal prison are blacks. There's a reason, and it's not because the white people aren't doing it and are and are getting away with it. It's because the blacks are doing that. This is what they're being taught at home. They're being emboldened. They're being allowed to do this stuff. This is so stupid, it could be easily trained out. When I was a kid, my best friend was a black guy named Herbie Hairstrom. And I remember one day we were playing at his house, and uh, 
he we were talking about something or other and playing some game and he goes nigger don't be don't do be don't be doing that his mother come from outside into the house so fast for a fat lady and she smacked him up alongside the head she knocked him into the wall she said don't you ever use that word and <laughs> that was a black lady correcting her black son that was then this is now now that's how they talk to each other but don't you do it because you're white you know but the black people can do it they can they can show that kind of disgusting disrespect to each other and not all of them don't get me wrong there's there are exceptions to every rule i'm going to leave you for now and i'll leave you with something from paul harvey At Runnymede, the Magna Carta was handed to King John on the end of a sword denying to royalty the right of unlimited taxation. Yet you know it was for us, the American people, to become the first in recorded history ever voluntarily to surrender our rights to private property. Oh, yes, we did. With an innocent-sounding constitutional amendment, the 16th, which says that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, and we forgot to put any limit on the extent to which we could tax ourselves. Conceivably, we could be taxed out of all private property. We could be taxed not 70%, 80%, 90%, but 100%. We could awaken one morning and find that the government owns the farm and the house and the car and has a mortgage on the church, legally. Historically, whenever any nation has taxed its people more than 25% of their national income, initiative was destroyed and that nation was headed for economic eclipse. History says we'll roll forward on momentum for a little while, but we'd better get some more gas in the tank pretty quick. You see, ours is not the first by George good government to arise on the world stage. There have been several. Rome, Spain, and Greece, and China, and each enjoyed about 150 years at its zenith. That's just about our time in the New World. And then each decayed away. Not one of them was ever destroyed by anybody else's marching legions. Each rotted away, morally, socially, culturally, economically, simultaneously. You know, one of the most cruel paradoxes of history is this. Because each was a good government, it bore bountiful fruit. When it bore bountiful fruit, the people got fat. And when they got fat, they got lazy. When they got lazy, they began to want to absolve themselves of personal responsibility and turn over to government to do for them things which traditionally they had been doing for themselves. At first, there appears to be nothing wrong asking government to perform some extra service for you, but if you ask government for extra services, government, in order to perform its increasing function, has to get bigger, right? And as government gets bigger, in order to support its increasing size, it has to what? Tax the individual more, so the individual gets littler. And to collect the increased taxes requires more tax collectors, so the government gets bigger. And in order to pay the additional tax collectors, it has to tax the individual more, so the government gets bigger and the individual gets littler. And the government gets bigger and the individual gets littler until the government is all-powerful. The individual is hardly anything at all. The government is all-powerful. The people are cattle. Some believe that the need is for a vigorous, strong man to arise on the scene, to regulate and regiment the affairs of men. Yet history tells us there have been several such. Once upon a time, there was a nation great and powerful and good. She was suffering from the aftermath of war, from a depression. And then came upon the scene a leader, an idealist, self-confident, intolerant of criticism. Wisely, he limited his early activities to combating the financial depression. Nobody could argue with that. But in a while, he began to regulate business. 
and establish new rules to govern commerce and finance. Some of them in diametrical disagreement with the God-made laws of supply and demand, but anybody who disagreed with those new rules was promptly fired. The national debt mounted alarmingly. Whenever anybody tried to tell him that governments, even as people, can go broke when they spend beyond their incomes, he said they just didn't understand deficit finance. Well, what do you say? Did he build on rock or on sand? I say on sand. I am satisfied with all my heart that if Uncle Sam ever does get whipped, here too, it will have been an inside job. It was internal decay. It was not external attack that destroyed the Roman Empire. Starting about 146 B.C., internal conditions in Rome were characterized by a welter of class wars and conflicts, street brawls, corrupt governors, lack of personal integrity and moral responsibility. And Rome passed into what history has recorded as the Dark Ages, lasting a thousand years, just by turning to the left the world has gone in circles. Now either we will profit from the errors of their ways, or it follows as the night the day, our children are going to have to relive the dark ages all over again. How come after thousands of years of experiment, our new nation has come so far so fast? All this in less than 200 years. What is the secret of our success? Well, I think it had to do with a basic American's creed. Perhaps it never passed the pioneer's lips in this form, but if it had, I think he would have said something like this. I believe in my God, in my country, and in myself. I know that sounds like a trite, too simple thing to say, and yet it's a rare man today who will dare to stand up and say, I believe in my God, and my country, and in myself, and in that order. Well, sir, when that early pioneer turned his eyes toward the West, he didn't demand that somebody else look after him. He didn't demand a free education. He didn't demand a guaranteed rocking chair at eventide. He didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or got old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work. Nor did he expect pay for no work at all. Come to think of it, he didn't demand anything. That hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plains stretching away to the tall green mountains and then lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, thank you, God. Now I can take it from here. Well, that spirit isn't dead in our country. It's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just that a few seasons ago, politicians baiting their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes began telling us, we don't want opportunity anymore. We want security. We don't want opportunity, they said. We want security. They said it so often we came to believe them. We wanted security. They gave us chains, and we were secure. Suddenly, with our constitutional guarantees depleted, with our national character eroding away, with our tax laws penalizing those who dare to prosper, with workers concentrating on how little they can get by with instead of how much they can produce, suddenly we looked overhead one day to discover that the first tin moon in space was a Russian accomplishment, that free men dragging their feet had been outdistanced by slave workers dragging their chains, and we were sore afraid. Perhaps this was a disguised blessing, too. Maybe a dramatic accomplishment by this Cold War adversary was necessary to get us off our dead centers and back to work again. If we can revive in ourselves, then in our youth, something of that basic American's creed, the horizon has never, ever been so limitless. For man stands now on the threshold of his highest adventure of all, his first faltering footsteps into space. Twenty years from today, half of the products you will be using in your everyday living 
aren't even in the dictionary yet. We've got it made if we just keep on keeping on. We've got it made. And if we don't, we will follow those other great nation-states of history into the graveyard of ignominious oblivion. History promises only this for certain. We will get exactly what we deserve.